Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to the Heartwork Community Quran Study of Surah Yusuf at Roots. All of our programming at Roots is live streamed and published free of charge thanks to the goodwill of our monthly sustainers. Your donations allow us to continue our mission of being a community of welcoming, providing meaningful content, and nurturing our hearts, minds, and souls in coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa You can help us reach our Ramadan campaign goal of 250 new sustainers by signing up today. Or, if you are already a sustainer, you can increase your amount and also encourage your family and friends to support the work we do by signing up at rootsdfw.org sustain. As always, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you and reward you. Jazakumullah khairan wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. An entire month, but the reality is that it feels a certain type of way. So, before you know it, it's going to be Eid, and then before you know it, you're going to be thinking, man, I can't wait for next Ramadan, inshallah. So may Allah ta'ala accept from us, inshallah, this month. Uh, and may He give us more and more, inshallah. Um, we're going to be continuing now with our reading of Surah Yusuf. And um, we are at a point now where the, the, the transitions and the lessons start coming very, very quickly. Um, and so we, last session we spoke about the moment in which Yusuf, salam was left in the well and then saved from the well or saved here is in quotes and then the people who saved him from the well then ended up selling him uh, into this uh, bonded servanthood right this slavehood and so we have here now this this trend that we're noticing in the surah so far that something good happens and then something bad happens and when i say these terms bad and good they're obviously relative because bad and good is, is always uh, an applied meaning. Like we don't know if something's bad or good until we're able to understand it further and we're able to zoom out and see. And sometimes it takes weeks, months, years later to understand what the value of something is in our life. So Yusuf salam, is experiencing this up and down, up and down. And part of the reason why the, uh, the Qur'an gives us this sort of this, you know, uh, vacillation between good and bad is because the Qur'an is also trying to reflect to us how life exists. When you read the Qur'an, you're not supposed to be removed from reality. It's supposed to help improve your reality. It's supposed to help give you an understanding, a refined understanding of what your life is going to be like. So how often in life do things go up and then they go down? And, and that's just the nature of it. And rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. This expectation is being set for us by Allah. That when things are going well, it's not that you have to be a pessimist and you prepare yourself for the worst, but you understand that not all good things will last. And when things are going poorly and they're not going in your favor or the way that you prefer, then you're not supposed to be somebody who is a, a, a hyper-idealist that you ignore the reality, but you console yourself knowing that at one point, inshallah, you will be better off. Is the mic not working? Oh. Uh, you can try. So, okay. So, the reality is that the Qur'an is giving us this lesson. There was a story once of, of, a, of a, a pious person one time, a, a, a khalif, actually, a leader of the ummah, who was given the task of, you know, uh, um, he gave someone the task to make him a nice piece of jewelry. And he said, make me a ring that'll be something that will be value, like invaluable. I'll never be able to, like, lose it or get rid of it, it's always going to be something that has meaning for me. And it's always going to be a ring that is of value for me. 
And so the, 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 the jeweler, or the, the person who prepared the ring for this uh, khalif, he, um, he inscribed a lesson on the inside of the ring, and that became the value of the ring. So he presented the ring to the khalif, and the khalif took it, and he saw the lesson, and he, began, he became emotional. And when they asked him about what the value of the ring was, he said, this is priceless. I said, why? He said, because inside the ring there was an inscription that is worth more than gold. They said, what was it? And he said that this inscription was basically a phrase that meant, this too shall pass. Right? And so this is an understanding that we have. When we say, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un, when Allah Ta'ala tells us in the Quran that when something bad happens to you, you say that, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un, the reality is that that's our reminder that this too shall pass, right? That there will come a time in my life or ultimately if my life is, is, is riddled with, with difficulties that are chronic, right? Or they're terminal, subhanAllah, then the afterlife will be my, my place of rest, okay? So this is the, uh, 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 the, the form of Surah Yusuf. Uh, another thing that was, that was uh, important to note here was that when Yusuf was... Uh, obtained or when he was acquired from the well by the caravan that later sold him, Allah Ta'ala mentions that when they sold him, they sold him for a cheap price. That they didn't get, they didn't go to the market and sell him for like the, the market rate of what they would sell a boy for. Um, the Mufassidin talk about this in a couple different ways. One of the ways we mentioned last week was that, you know, they were afraid, they were guilty, so they didn't want to like hold on to their product for too long. They wanted to move it quickly because you don't want to get caught with someone's child, right? And so before people could put out the word that someone was missing, they went ahead and they got rid of him. So they did it for a cheap price. The other meaning that the Mufassirin talk about was that no matter what, you're never going to be able to match what Yusuf was worth. So no matter what they got, it was cheap anyways. But the lesson here that I wanted to extract from us is that Yusuf was someone that was invaluable, right? People name their kids now after Prophet Yusuf. Anyone here named Yusuf? Yeah, yeah, okay, Joseph. Yes, yeah, so, exactly. So, Yusuf, very good. So, the reality is that the value of this person is, is, is undisputed. He's a valuable person, right? Across theological realms, across... So, no one's going to say that Yusuf is not a worthy individual to study. There's an entire chapter of the Quran named after him, highlighting his entire story. So, if, if people at that moment were not able to recognize and determine the value of a prophet, then one lesson that we take from this, and this is kind of one of those sobering moments, is that you can't expect everyone to fully understand and recognize your value. It's just one of the things in life. In relationships, there will be people that don't recognize really what you're worth. And, and, and at that moment, you can become upset, frustrated, you know, there's different paths. Or you can understand that part of this dunya is that Allah Ta'ala created us. And in that creation, there are gaps of understanding the value of each other. And it's not a bad thing necessarily. Sometimes it's just the reality. The only one, the only one who understands your value accurately is the one who created you, is Allah. Sometimes your family won't understand your value. Sometimes your friends won't understand. Have you guys ever felt like you've been taken for granted? Anybody? Raise your hand in this room if you felt like you've been taken for granted. All right? All right. Now let's cry. So it's a reality. It is. People didn't thank you the way that they should have. They didn't appreciate you. It's the nature of life. Okay? Don't, don't get upset about it. 
Don't lose your head about it. Understand that when you turn to Allah, that is the only relationship where your value will be accurate, will be assessed accurately with Allah. Okay? So uh, that's one of the lessons there that the Mufassirin brought up. Okay, so now we have uh, the moment where the Aziz, or one of the ministers of Egypt, is one of the people that ended up, uh, um, you know, obtaining Yusuf from this sale. Okay, so whether it was sold directly to him or whether he was sold into the market and then he was purchased by the, the, the royalty, the, the minister's family, it's, it's debated by the Mufassirin. But either way, he ended up in the house of the Aziz and the Aziz uh, purchased him and said to his wife, take good care of him. Take good care of him because he might be useful to us or we can adopt him as a son. Okay, lesson here, people will find comfort in unlikely places. And after your ups and downs, you're going to have moments where subhanAllah, the most unexpected place of providence and of privilege might become, exactly, might become, it might become uh, uh, placed upon you. Okay? I mean, you might have total strangers that become more helpful to you in your life in a moment than someone you really thought was going to be there for you. It's just a reality. So now Yusuf salam, as he's sort of like surfing this tumultuous wave of life, going up and down, up and down, he's finding comfort in the home of the palace, of the minister, or one of the ministers of Egypt. Right? This is a huge lesson for us. Don't ever expect, don't ever claim to know or to expect where your provision will come from. You know, Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an that uh, uh, He mentions that phrase, that one of the things of the people of piety is that Allah will provide for them, but he mentions a condition here. One of the conditions of being provided for is that you can't claim to know where it's going to come from. And Allah will remind you time and time again in life, he, think, he will allow you to think that something is going to come from a certain place, and that thing will be depleted. Right? You turn over the rock and it's empty. And then Allah will redirect you to a place or a person that you didn't think was going to give you any benefit. There's no provision there. And subhanAllah, that person was able to either themselves help you or they knew somebody who could help you and you had no clue that that was going to be the place where you were going to find your provision. So part of the mystery of our receiving blessings from Allah is that we have to submit to the fact that we can't claim to know exactly how it's going to happen. If a person tries to do really, really, like they try really hard to be able to strategically understand exactly, and they almost like, you know, bet the house on it, as they say, then that person is going to go through life very frustrated. Because the mystery of provision is that Allah Ta'ala puts it in places where you least expect it. Allah Ta'ala puts it in places where you least expect it. All you have to do then, all He's asking for you, is not to know, but He's asking for you to trust. Do you trust that it's going to be there? Right? And the Prophet Muhammad gave us a beautiful example when he said that if your iman, if your trust in Allah, if your faith in Allah were, were secure, if it were good, then you would wake up each morning like the bird. Right? Last I checked, birds don't have refrigerators. Birds, their nest doesn't have any storage for the food. What do they do? The bird wakes up in the morning, the bird goes out, the bird hunts, gets its food, goes, feeds itself and feeds its family. Rinse, repeat, right? Every day, every day. So the Prophet ﷺ said, the person of true faith, they have the faith of that bird. The bird doesn't wake up in the morning thinking, oh no, I don't have any worms. What am I going to do? 
right, looks in its nest. Where's my food? No, the bird understands. God will provide for me if I do the work. And so for us as believers, we realize this. Allah will provide for us, and the only condition he placed upon provision is that we trust in him and that we do our part. That's all he asked. He didn't ask for us to figure it out. He just asked for us to do our part. So here Yusuf is being given this provision. But now another lesson. This is how we establish Yusuf in the land, Allah Ta'ala is saying, so that we might teach him the interpretation of dreams. Remember what the problem was initially? What was the problem? Yusuf had a dream that he didn't understand, right? Okay, so Prophet Yusuf had a dream he did not understand. That was his issue. He went to his father, his father interpreted it for him, right? Gave him sort of an understanding of, not fully interpreted, but gave him an understanding of, okay, this is something that's not, it's not a casual dream. This dream has meaning, right? So Yusuf, his whole mission in life is to become the person who receives the gift that God will give him, which is that he will understand dreams. That's going to be his prophetic skill, his prophetic talent. Allah is making him go through all of these different situations so that he can eventually develop that skill. Okay? So now, look at yourself. Turn the mirror. What situations in your life were you only able to obtain as the result of bad moments in your life? This is one of the things that Ibn Azadim uh, uh, um, Abdul Salam, he says. He says, Allah puts you in situations sometimes because that's the only way for you to gain that skill. If he didn't put you in that situation, in that moment, then you wouldn't be able to gain it. Right? Do you guys understand? Okay, a, a, a really common example. How many of you know how to change a flat tire? Okay, we're in trouble. I'm going to put the AAA number on the screen. We need everyone to... Okay. So changing a flat tire. How do you learn how to change a flat tire? Well, some of you went to schools where like, they teach you how to do it or whatever. That's fine. In reality, most people learn how to change a flat tire when they get a flat tire. Now, in that moment, you could be upset and frustrated. Why would God do this to me? Why did he destine this flat tire for me? Why did God test me with you know, Michelin? Like, you know, why? The reality is, subhanAllah, that that test is your training. And Izzad ibn Abdul Salam, he continues. He says, it's your training, number one, because now you know how to fix it, right? You've gone through it, you survived, you're driving home. Alhamdulillah, you have your health, you have your, you know, all you, all you, all you lost was a couple hours, maybe, okay? You have your car, you have everything, you're driving home. Now you know how to do it, and then guess what? If a friend goes through the same situation or somebody, you can then help them. So now you become a mercy, not only for yourself, but for other people. In that test of the flat tire was in fact a mercy for you and for others. And this is what Allah Ta'ala is reminding us here. Because the reader of this chapter can get frustrated. You can say, man, he's a prophet. Why is he being tested like this over and over and over again? And Allah Ta'ala says, no. This is what? So that we can teach him. This is all part of the plan so that we can give him this skill and we can allow him to understand. And then Allah says, In the midst of your roller coaster of life, do not, do not ever, ever, ever let yourself think that your life is chaos. There's no chaos happening. All of this is divine plan. All of this is divine strategy. There's never a moment where Allah is out of the control of your life. Allah Ta'ala's will, what He wants, will always go through, will always prevail. However, But this is a fact that most people do not know. 
if anyone in here suffers from, I'm not going to go clinical, but spiritual anxiety, spiritual stress, okay? The waking up and the questioning and the, and, and the not sure and the uncertainty, if anyone in here struggles with this, this verse, that portion right there is something you should repeat to yourself all the time, all the time. Allah is in control. God is in control. All I can do is do my part. Allah is in control. Even though I'm not aware, Allah Ta'ala will take care of the situation for me. Okay? So Yusuf salam is in the situation and subhanAllah, things seem to be looking up. Okay? Then Allah Ta'ala says, when he reached the stage of maturity, we gave him wisdom and knowledge and that is how we reward those who do good. The Muhsineen. This is a transitionary ayah now. It's jumping us to another. Yusuf salam lived in this position, in this stage of privilege and protection. And Allah Ta'ala is teaching us here that what? When he reached the age of maturity, when he, when he gained some, some, some years and some wisdom in his life, Allah Ta'ala as a result of that maturity gave him knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Some things that happen to you when you're younger make no sense. False or true? True or false? True. When you're younger, they make no sense, right? And then what happens? Later in life, you look back and you realize, oh, subhanAllah, that actually was really critical for me to experience that. Right? Anyone have a moment they want to share? Something when you were younger didn't make sense and then you got older? Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah, subhanAllah, that's amazing. So dad's business partnership, he backed out, lost everything, had to go work at, at Walmart. And then that forced you guys to have to work, right? I actually share a similar story. Like my dad got laid off after having an MBA from the, the Booth School of Business in U Chicago. Got laid off in the, in the layoffs in 2008. And after that, it was, all right, every person's got to help keep this house afloat, right? And again, it's it's... At the moment, it's so confusing. Like, why? Like, what do you mean? Like, what? I remember asking my dad, like, Dad, when can I get a phone? Because all my friends were getting phones. And he was like, when you can buy one. And I was like, who's you? Right? <laughs> and uh, subhanAllah. But I, I now, looking back on those days, right, I used to actually be a paper boy. You guys know what that is? Never be like, what? I used to deliver iPads to every house. It's a, kind of like an iPad. It's an iPad, but it's made of paper. Uh, no, I used to have to. I used to have to deliver papers, right? When I was, and then I worked at. Uh, I worked at Bed Bath and Beyond for a long time. I folded towels. I know. I know more about towels than most people. Um, and then I worked at the Apple Store for a while. And then I worked at an orthodontist clinic. And then I worked. At, yeah, I had a crazy mind. I'm sure a lot of you share the same sort of like career trajectory, right? And uh, subhanAllah. But you, like you said, and you, uh, you know, Ahmed, you said this. I'm not, I'm quoting you. I'm not calling you this. You were a spoiled brat. <laughs> and only through that test on your family were you and your brothers able to develop wisdom and maturity to understand that life is not always handed to you, right? So a person wants wisdom. A person wants knowledge. No one wants to live being foolish, do they? You want to be wise. But wisdom has a cost. 
Wisdom costs something, right? If I want something, I need to pay something to get it. What does a person pay to get wisdom and knowledge? Life experience, difficulties, moments of challenge. Also, moments of success. How do you handle your successes? That's also a challenge, by the way. Tests don't only come in the form of things that you don't like. Tests also come in the forms of things you like because Allah is testing how you're going to respond to that. Are you going to be a person who's generous? Or are you going to be stingy? Are you going to be grateful? Or are you going to be ungrateful? Right? These are all the tests that lie within those moments. But Allah Ta'ala is now, in transitioning the story, He is preparing the reader of this story to understand that you are not going through these tests purposelessly. Tests don't exist without purpose. Sometimes it feels like that, right? You go through a trial and you're like, what am I getting out of this? And you're asking that rhetorically. Well, the Quran is saying you're getting a lot, actually. You're getting a lot, right? The Prophet ﷺ, he described the believer as the one who doesn't make the same, he doesn't get bit from the same snake hole twice. You know what this means? The Prophet ﷺ described the believer as the one who doesn't get bit from, because snakes dig holes, right? Sometimes in the desert. He says the, the, the believer is the one who doesn't get bit from the same snake twice. You know what that means? The believer learns after the first time. You go through an experience and you're like, okay. And Allah has embedded in your heart now this ability to extract wisdom. Because imagine if you live life not thinking that anything had meaning or purpose. You're like, well, it just happened. Well, if you did always try to reflect about what was happening, you would think to yourself, okay, right? Like the next time Yusuf's brothers are like, let's go play in the desert. He's like, no thanks, bro. <laughs> Bros, right? He understands. He knows. He, he's, able to, he's able to understand that, Okay. Hey, Yusuf, our ball went in the well. Why don't you go check for it? Mm -mm. Not me. Okay? Now, again, you can forgive, but you shouldn't forget. In the sense that when you go through a moment in life that tests you, especially if others are involved, you absolutely should forgive, if possible. But forgetting is not always the wisest thing to do because you're losing the lesson from that moment. Okay? So, Yusuf, he reached the age of maturity. Allah Ta'ala says, وَآتَيْنَاهُ حُكْمًا وَعِلْمًا so this wisdom is not also something, by the way, that you manufacture in your mind. It's something granted to you from the divine. So when you ask Allah, ask Him for wisdom. When you ask Allah, ask Him for knowledge. Don't just assume that you're going to be able to manufacture it internally. That's not how this works. Right? Two people can experience the same thing. And one of them who is seeking that wisdom from Allah will be given a moment. You know, some of our great scholars of our tradition, Ibn Taymiyyah and others, they would be trying to figure out an issue, and they couldn't figure it out. So someone asked them a question, they couldn't figure it out. Do I pay zakat on Bitcoin? They're like, oh man. <laughs> right? They couldn't figure it out. So they would look at all the books, and they memorized, and they had pages and thousands and thousands of books and pages, and they would research and research, and they couldn't figure it out. And you know what they would do at that point? Ibn Taymiyyah very famously would go to the masjid, make wudu, and he would prostrate, and he would say, oh Allah, the one who spoke to Musa, Speak to me. Not saying literally, but he's saying, right? Oh Allah, the friend of Ibrahim, give me some, give me some inspiration. He's seeking that from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that moment. Okay? The wisdom that you seek is not manufactured by you, it's given to you. Okay? And then Allah Ta'ala, and then he says that this is how Allah Ta'ala rewards the ones who do good. Muhsinin. Those people who in every state, in every situation, in every moment, are always trying their best. That's what a muhsin is. You're always trying your best. 
What is the reward? You know, sometimes in life it feels like the people who don't do good get further. Yes or no? The people who lie, the people who cheat, the people who steal, they get what they want. They get further. Well, it depends on what you're measuring it by. If you measure it by means of dunya, maybe, sure. If you measure it by means of wealth and by, you know, uh, whatever, uh, net worth and capital, sure, maybe. But if you measure it by means of tranquility, if you measure it by means of the, the measurement of virtue, of depth of relationships, right? Because we look at amount of relationships. We don't look at depth. There's people who know a lot of people, but no one really knows a lot about them, right? And they don't know a lot about anybody, but they know a lot of people. And there's people that know a few people, but they're like flesh and blood, brothers and sisters. And you can trust that person beyond even sometimes anything that you would imagine. You can trust them with that. So wisdom is something that Allah Ta'ala grants to those who do their best. Do not ever sell yourself short by doing less than what is your best for Allah. In those moments of trial and difficulty, shaitan will always tempt you to take the spiritual shortcut. Don't do it. Don't do it. In every moment in life, he's okay, he's okay. No, okay, he's okay. In every moment in life, it is always worth taking the long way if it pleases Allah. You know there's a hadith that people famously quote that the Prophet would do the easier of two options. You guys heard this before? No? Alright, well let me give you a little gift. The Prophet said, or it was said that the Prophet said that he would choose the easier of two options. But I want to first clarify something. We're talking about the easier of two options when it comes to two things that are both pleasing to Allah. You guys understand? So it's not like, oh, one of them is, one of them is permissible, one of them is haram, but the haram one's easier. Let me choose that. No. Two things that are pleasing to Allah, as long as they are both permissible, then Allah Ta'ala, would, then the Prophet Sallallahu would choose the easier. He wouldn't needlessly put difficulty upon himself. He wouldn't needlessly do it. Okay? Alright. So, now we've, we've experienced good. He's being held, taken care of, right? Growing up in the house of the Aziz. What happens next? Okay? And the lady in whose house he lived tried to seduce him. She locked the doors and she said to him, come to me. He replied, Allah. He replied in that moment, Allah is my refuge. Innahu rabbi ahsana mathwaya. Innahu la In that moment, Yusuf السلام, is being tested with many different things. Okay? By the way, pause for a second. Uh, for, for anyone who has ever felt like the Qur'an does not speak to our issues in modern times. I mean, this is a great example. I know there's children here. This is a great example of a kind of assault. Can, can I, do I have to say everything? Okay, you got it? Okay, there's children here. This is a great example of a certain type of assault that takes place very commonly in our society. Granted, this situation may not statistically be the one that's represented most, but nevertheless, the Qur'an is addressing it. It happens. Okay, it happens on both sides. Obviously, with, it happens to women much more than men, but it happens. The Qur'an is still addressing it. So, in the meta moment for a second, we want to understand that the Qur'an is a text that is very much living and practical. Okay, so what is it here? Yusuf salam is being subjected to this. She's in a position of power. Her husband's the minister. 
okay? She's taking care of him all these years. She's somebody that has leverage over him. And she's somebody that has control over the house. She's the one that locked the doors. So this is, again, a, a moment or a point where the Qur'an is engaging and showing us that prophets didn't have it easy, right? Prophets didn't have it easy. This is a situation that he was put in that was, that was tragic, that was horrific. How does he respond? In that moment, in that moment, he responds by saying what? May God protect me. May Allah protect me from this. Okay? Similar to Maryam alayhi salam. When the angels came to greet her and to give her the news of her son, what did she say? She said, "A'udhu bil Rahman." I'm seeking. I'm seeking. Uh, I'm seeking refuge from you in Ar Rahman. The first thing she said. In any moment in life, when you're being tested, we have to go back to Allah quickly and first. That will set the tone for the rest of our experience in that moment, or the rest of our interaction in that moment. So he says what? He says, "Qala ma'adallah." Then he turns inwardly and responds, "Innahu Rabbi ahsana This translation is kind of it's it, there's dual translation here. The word "rab" in Arabic means what? Hmm? Rab, like when we say "Rabbana," it means Lord. Okay, but "Rab" can mean either kind of Lord. It can mean Allah, like Lord with a capital L, or there can be like "Rabbul Bayt," the the Lord of the house. So here there's two meanings, and this is the beauty of the Qur'an is that there are layers. The first meaning is what? He is, he is remembering that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken care of him. إِنَّهُ Rabbi أَحْسَنَ مَثْوَايَ Allah ta'ala right, has taken good care of me. Isn't that so interesting? He's mentioning this despite all the difficulty he's been in. I mean, would you be able to say that statement after going through what he went through? Allah has taken care of me after being left for dead by your brothers and sold into slavery. Man, we, we experience one difficulty in life and we like lose all contact with God. Prophet Yusuf has experienced layers of difficulty and he's saying, what? My, my Allah has only treated me well. Allah has only done me well. Look at this optimism, this spiritual optimism. A lot of us want to know what's the secret to having good faith. It's being spiritually optimistic. Part of it is always having what they call husn al-dhanbillah. Always have a good understanding and a good view of God. Always understand that. But the second meaning is also very profound. Is that he's not talking about Allah directly here, but he's speaking about the rab, meaning the aziz, the person who owns the house. And he's saying that you're the wife of the minister and you're asking me to engage in this? And how? That Number one, no. Number two, how could I? Look at how well the, the, the caretaker of this house has done for me. It's like the height of ingratitude. So what is, how do we define ingratitude? We define ingratitude as being oblivious to the blessings while transgressing the one that's given them to you. What is ingratitude? Obliviousness to what you've been given. And going against the one that provided it for you. We just read this the other night, right? We read this in, in the Qiyam program here. Ibn Qudama said what? He said, one of the du'as that was made by the pious people is, Oh Allah, protect me from ever using your blessings against you. Protect me from ever using what you've given me against you. Because, oh Allah, that's the height of ingratitude, that I'm a person that would use the eyesight you gave me in a way you don't like. The tongue you gave me in a way you don't like. And it's like the height of it, subhanAllah. 
Can you imagine if you found out that somebody did something against you? Not only that, but they used your belongings, your house, your car, your phone, whatever, your resources, and they were hurting you with those things? It's like adding salt to the wound, subhanAllah. So Yusuf here is teaching us one of the secrets to avoiding desire and temptation. What is one of the secrets to avoiding desire? What is it? Recognize your blessings. Recognize your blessings. Now this is obviously an extreme example. Okay? This is an extreme example. Understood. We are tested with moments of desire every day. You want to know the greatest desire that you're going to experience, especially after Ramadan? It's called the snooze button. That's one of the, I mean, no doubt, missing the Fajr prayer is one of the greatest, I mean, Ramadan, there's like a, you know, we get like a temporary lapse because there's, the only food you can eat for 14 hours is there, so you're like, I'll wake up. And then you eat and you're like, oh, I'm eating until the buzzer, and then the adhan goes off and you're like, okay, I have, we'll do it, I guess, let me just pray, right? But the reality is, after Ramadan ends, you want to know what the loneliest day is for Fajr? The day of Eid. One of my teachers used to say, like, if you could hear the crying of the masjid on the Fajr at Eid, you would be heartbroken. Because that same room that was filled with people, the house of Allah that was filled to capacity, now all of a sudden, just 12 hours after the last fast broken, is crying, saying, like, where is everybody? Like, we were just here all month long. Like an orphaned place. May Allah Ta'ala allow us to fill these, 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 these buildings. There we go. That was impressive. May Allah Ta'ala allow us to keep filling his house. So this is one of the keys. Surah Yusuf, Prophet Yusuf in this moment teaches us how do we engage with desire. Number one is that we understand the blessing that was given to us. We become shy. We feel a little bit like, you know, oh, I can't do that. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala gave this to me. Number two is you recognize the actual presence, maybe even, of the person you're transgressing against. If the sin is not just against Allah, but it's against somebody, you have to realize, like, what am I, what's, what am I uh, sacrificing here? I'm hurting this person and I'm losing this relationship. And if, if, if the thought of losing that person doesn't move you, doesn't affect you, then there's something wrong. Right? Then there's something very wrong there. So he says that this, Ma'adallah, innahu rabbi ahsana mathwaya, innahu la yuflihu al-zalimun. And then he reminds himself of the same principle we just talked about. Allah Ta'ala in the last verse said what? This is how we reward the good doers. Then he reminds us and he says what? The, the wrongdoers will never succeed. Those who oppress, those who do wrong will never succeed. It doesn't matter how it appears on the outside. They will never ever succeed. Even if they appear to succeed in this dunya, in the akhirah, success is not written for that person. Okay? You can never ever accomplish something good by doing it the wrong way. We believe in our faith that it's not only the goal, but it's also the means that also support the goal as well. In fact, we almost believe that the means are more important than the goal. Because the goal, according to us, is not up to us. I can't guarantee anything. All I can guarantee is how I do it. How I do it. If I do it in a good way, Bismillah, I hope Allah accepts from me. But if I do it in a way that's wrong, then I have to rethink my approach. Right? You can't rob a bank and build a masjid with it. It's not how that works. Okay? It doesn't matter how pious or how... 
Oh, I want to build a masjid. It's like you can't steal and then build a masjid. That's not how that works. In Islam, we believe that the ends do not justify the means, but the means can in fact be more important than the ends. Allah Ta'ala will never let those who do wrong succeed. Okay? وَلَقَدْ هَمَّتْ بِهِ وَهَمَّ بِهَا لَوْ لَا أَنْ رَأَى بُرْهَانَ رَبِّهِ Okay? Allah describes. In that moment, he was having that moment of, of reminder, and in that moment, she approached him. She desired him and she approached him. And then the Qur'an says, وَهَمَّ بِهَا لَوْ لَا أَنْ رَأَى بُرْهَانَ رَبِّهِ that in any other situation, this is actually very profound. Allah says, in any other let me translate it actually according to how it is here. And she, verily she moved towards him, and he moved towards her except, or unless, or only if this did not happen. Allah is, put that word, lawla, right here, lawla is a abrupt shift in the discourse, which means what? Any other person would have fallen in this moment, including, as Allah is telling us, any human being that has that disposition, that has that desire, would have been tempted by that. This is what Allah is saying. Lawla and ra'a burhana rabbi, except unless that person is able to witness in that moment, a sign or a proof from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, the, the scholars of tafsir try to they explain, okay, what might this burhan be? But what we can, def we don't know exactly what the sign was, but what we can definitely all agree on is that when you are on a path towards something that you know is not right, there is always the voice. I'm not talking about the show. There's always that, that light inside of you, that voice that's saying what? This isn't right. This isn't right. The person's heart will always try to pull them back towards Allah. Always. In that moment, he's a prophet. His heart, the strength and the integrity of that spirit, of that hold, was stronger than any desire that, could have been, that he could have been tested with. So she was approaching him, and Allah says that, yeah, any person, any man in that situation would have approached her too, but his restraint was divine, was given to him by Allah. What does this mean? Number one is that anything that you are tested with, you have the ability to hold back from it. You know what just happened to me? Humayun, I'm going to call you out, okay? Is that okay? I was walking in, and Humayun, mashallah, good brother, good friend. He goes, how are you, how you doing? You, you okay? I go, yeah, man, I'm just tired. He goes, I have a Red Bull. <laughs> and I go, we're still fasting. And he goes, oh my God, I'm so sorry, right? <laughs> in that moment, I, yeah, he thought it was funny. I had to see, I had to... Right Now again, the temptation obviously was not as great because I, I don't want to break my fast. <laughs> but the point is, there's always going to be those moments. You are always going to be tempted. You are always going to have moments that you can figure out. There's going to be ways that you can carve the narrative, loopholes, whatever. But you know, you know whether or not it's the right thing to do.
the Prophet one time was approached by somebody. He said, Ya Rasulullah, how can I make sure that you know, I do the right thing? was asking him about this question. I want, to do, I want to make the right decision. How can I make sure I make the right decision? The Prophet said, Istafti qallak. He said, ask your heart. Ask your heart. For more, for more often than not, for most people who are generally virtuous people, of course, this isn't talking about like the, the sick heart, the dead heart. The virtuous people, if they're by themselves and they're asked, do you think this is okay? They would have to be honest. Right? They would have to be honest. Do you think it's okay that Allah gives and gives and gives and gives and you keep ignoring Him and missing prayer? Now, we could sit there and say, well, I'm super busy and I'm, you know, one day, inshallah, this and that. But if we're by ourselves in a, in a room with nobody there and we don't have to defend ourselves to anybody, it's just us and God, we'll say, yeah, it's not right. You think it's okay to be engaged in this kind of behavior, this kind of business, do people wrong, steal from people? There was a sister, mashallah, who came to me after class one day. And she said, you know what? I have to ask you something. I'm in this business. I'm in this field. I don't feel good about it. I said, what's wrong? She goes, we're selling this to people, and I know like, what we're selling is nothing. She goes, but I'm making a lot of money, and people are buying it, but they don't really know that when they buy it, there's really nothing there. And I said, so what do you want to do? She goes, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. And I said, subhanAllah, I said, I'm sure there's a way in fiqh for someone to find a loophole for you to continue working here. But she said, I just don't feel right. I don't feel right. Lawla and ra'aburhanu rabbi. I just don't feel right. Never lose that. Because once a person loses the ability to not feel right about something, then as the Prophet says, do whatever you like. There's no hope. Like, if you don't have any modesty, do whatever you like. And the Prophet wasn't giving permission. <laughs> he wasn't saying, like, go ahead, buddy. Like, no. He was saying, in lam tastahi, like, if you don't have any shame before Allah, go ahead. Do whatever you want. Right? Disappointed parent style. Do whatever you want. Don't lose the ability to see Allah in those moments. Don't lose that ability to see Him. Okay? Then Allah Ta'ala said, كَذَٰلِكَ لِنَصْرِفَ عَنْهُ السُّوءِ That is how we turned away from him the evil that he was experiencing. وَالْفَحْشَاءَ and the indecency. إِنَّهُ مِنْ عِبَادِنَا الْمُخْلِسِينَ Verily he is from one of our sincere true servants. Okay? You know... What actually proves your servitude to Allah? It's really amazing. I'll finish here because we only have two minutes. Ramadan, you walk into the masjid and you see people praying, reading, doing all kinds of stuff. And you feel a little bit small because you're like, man, I'm not, you know, I'm not as good as these people. Like you're going to walk in and see the people doing itikaf. You know what itikaf is? They live in the masjid for the last 10 nights. You guys know what that is? Do you feel like you're horrible? Yeah, me too, right? <laughs> Yeah, because mashallah, they've been living in the masjid the last 10 nights, reciting Qur'an, doing their, making dua. It's amazing. You feel bad, right? Our relationship with Allah is not only predicated upon what we can do, but it's also predicated upon what we're able to restrain ourselves from. Right? The Prophet Sallallahu said what? Whatever I've given you to do, do what you can. But whatever I've prohibited you from, you have to stop everything. Okay? 
if a person wants to have this gift from Allah and have sincerity from Allah, ask yourself and notice Ramadan, the obligations are not to do more, but the obligations are to what? Restrain yourself. The obligations. Fasting is not an addition. It's a subtraction. If you want to see if you have the sincerity for Allah, don't only look at what you can do after Ramadan. Look at what you cannot restart after Ramadan. Look at what you can hold back from. If there's something you gave up in this month, see if you can give it up forever. Or give it up for the next 11 months. Right? Just make, that, make your nafs that promise. In that restraint, you will have given yourself this certificate, this badge from Allah that you did it for his sake. Right? One of my teachers very, very beautifully said that, you know, when the Prophet passed away, uh, Abu Bakr said, for whoever worshipped Muhammad, Muhammad has, has died. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But whoever worships God, Allah, God is ever living and never dies. And my teacher, he said, whoever worships Ramadan, Ramadan is ending. But whoever worships the Lord of Ramadan, Allah, he's always there. He's always there. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us this ability to recognize him. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to have the strength to restrain ourselves from the things that we know we shouldn't do. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us wisdom. And we ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to let us learn from the things that we've experienced. We ask Allah Ta'ala to accept from us all of our fasting, all of our charity, all of our prayers. We ask Allah Ta'ala to overlook any of the shortcomings that we've had in our Ramadan and to fill our gaps for us. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala to purify our hearts and our souls and to make us closer to him. We ask Allah to never let us stray away from him. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala to grant us all of the good in this life and the next life. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik nashhadu an la ilaha illa ant nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. We hope that inshallah you enjoyed and benefited listening to the Heartwork Community Quran Study Series on Surah Yusuf. If you did enjoy and if you did benefit, then please consider helping us reach our Ramadan campaign goal of 250 new sustainers by heading over to rootsdfw.org sustain. If you're already a sustainer, let your family and friends know to support the work that we do. We'll see you next week inshallah. Jazakum Allah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.